0: God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I spent some time yesterday with a rabbi friend of mine. uh, And like a good rabbi, he was trying to get the priest to go out for a beer late on a Saturday night because his big work day is done. And he said, Mike, don't worry about preaching tomorrow. You can come out and have a beer. All you need to do after this crazy week is to stand up in the pulpit and say, you think this is hot. <laughs> We're not going there. I want to talk a little bit about Jacob today. Jacob's story involves a claim of unlikely sacred geography. Jacob finds himself on the run. He's, he's been tricked, or he's tricked Isaac, his father. That name Jacob means trickster. And he's tricked both Isaac, his father, and his brother Esau. He tricked old Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing, his birthright. And as we heard last week about Esau, Esau is not somebody you want to mess with. So Jacob, the trickster, is on the run. All that's concealed in that first verse you had. Jacob is on the run when this dream happens. Away from home, away from the lands of his grandfather Abraham, he has a dream, and then he declares, surely God is in this place. And the claim is surprising. Jacob is laying down in the holy place of the people of Haran. What, might we ask, is God doing there? Jacob's dream becomes one of the most lasting and captivating images of the connection between heaven and earth. Jacob's ladder has been painted, carved into stone, set in stained glass. We sang about it in that old spiritual this morning. And how many of you have ever been in a guitar store and not heard someone learning Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven? Jacob's ladder is even a popular wooden toy. How many Bible passages have their own toy? We're fascinated by this image of Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder. This sense of God's connection to the earth. And that in some places, the infinite and the finite touch. Thin places, the Irish call them. Some of us have experienced this thinness. Do you have a sacred spot? A place you return to? I have a few There's a certain sage field at a camp I worked at in my early 20s in Colorado. I'm going to go up and visit this week. I made it through a lot of angst spending quiet time in that field. There are places in our lives, old, worn paths that lead us back to God. But don't miss what Jacob says when he wakes up. Surely God is in this place, and I, I did not realize it. Our English translation misses a point of emphasis that's there in the Hebrew original. And for those of you who, like me, are language nerds, there's an unnecessary pronoun in the Hebrew. I, I, Jacob says. The grammar points to his realization that he, he has missed something. Jacob has missed the presence of God. The responsibility for not noticing God in this territory belongs to Jacob. Which leads me to ask, how often do I, I not realize? How often do we miss God? One of the biggest blunders in the spiritual life, and one that I commit with great regularity, is assuming that I know where to find God. God, however, keeps ignoring my maps showing up where I least expect. Jacob's ladder touches down in unfamiliar territory. Many of you know that, like Brooklyn, who preached here last week, I spent a year in college, or after college, living in Central America. I was in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, when Brooklyn was, was in Panama. As a French, freshly minted Bachelor of Liberal Arts, I was convinced that I could make a difference. I came to Honduras fully expecting to find God, and I did, eventually, but not where I was looking. You see, I believed I would find God in my work. I was convinced that I had a great deal to teach, a great deal to offer. I was giving a year, I thought maybe even more, to serve God among the least of these. I was sure to find God there in my work. I arrived at El Hogar de Amor y Esperanza, the orphanage that would be my home, to discover that the job I had come to fill didn't exist. I thought I would be teaching English and helping to orient some short-term volunteer groups who came down to visit from the United States. I arrived to discover that El Hogar already had an excellent English teacher, and no volunteer groups were scheduled to arrive in the next six months. (laughs) To complicate matters, my Spanish was not nearly fluent enough for me to be useful in helping to manage over 100 boys aged between 6 and 15. i had been reading over the last semester of college a lot of Thomas Merton, the famous 20th century monk and mystic, who described with such poetry his encounter with God's presence. And I was not finding God, not there in my work. I spent most of the first six months in Honduras feeling frustrated, bored, useless. I said as much home in an email home to a priest in San Diego, the rector who had sponsored me for the volunteer program. I told him that I had applied for some jobs back in the States they would take me home early. His response came like a wake-up call. He only wrote three sentences. Thomas Merton had a lot to say about usefulness. None of it was positive. <laughs> Stay in Honduras. I did. And somehow, I let go of my crippling need to find God in meaningful work at El Hogar. I discovered that for the sake of trying to find God in serving others, I had missed God in the laughter of the kids around me in games of soccer, in shared meals, in simple conversations and hugs. Surely God was in that place, and I, I did not realize it until I let go of my expectations, my assumptions about where God was to be found. Sometimes we don't make the best judges of God's presence. I think there is wisdom in Jesus' parable about the weeds and the wheat, I think he may be trying to tell his disciples not to go weeding before they learn the distinction between the wheat and the weeds. I could have easily uprooted myself too early from Honduras. If I'd done so, God's presence to me in that place would never have blossomed. Sometimes we can be so sure where we are to find God, so expectant about how God is supposed to act, that we miss where God is already present. Wearing blinders that we've constructed, we pass through life looking for the God we can't see, until we trip over the rungs of a ladder connecting heaven and earth. I have a secret to share with you. Don't tell anyone I said this, but I don't think God is just an Episcopalian. Years ago, because of some crazy friends at seminary, I had a profound sense of encounter with God while whirling with dervishes in a Sufi Muslim mosque. Over the last months and years, I've prayed with Jews, Muslims, Sikhs, even Presbyterians, as we worked for justice in our region. I think God has been getting around. I think this story of Jacob encountering God in the pagan temple of a strange people it has something to say to those of us who live in a religiously plural world. If you've tried meditation with the Buddhists or read some of Rumi's poetry, if you've been to a yoga class or experienced a Seder dinner with Jewish friends, you may also have a sense of this. Episcopalians, even Christians, may not have a monopoly on the divine. God can be found in the most surprising places, the upstairs room of a bar, or even a laundromat. As Jacob, that trickster, discovered, sometimes the best adventures occur when we venture into unmarked territory, when we find ourselves out of our comfort zones, when we try the unexpected. Sometimes what makes a thin place thin is our loss of a sense of security and surety. If you find yourself somewhere unexpected, keep your eyes out. Pay attention to your dreams. Surely God is in this place. Amen.